Right here on ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 mobile app. You could have been anywhere on the airwaves, but you're with me, and I appreciate that. What's up? Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Final hour of the program right here on Acadiana's Best Sports Leader on for Acadiana's Best Sports Fans, ESPN 1420. It is a day filled with a lot of football, and yours truly has three drafts tonight. Very excited about that. We've got the Fantasy Football Lounge listener draft coming up at 8.15 tonight. Excited about that one. And then we have two others that I have going on at about 6, literally right when we cut this show off. And um, and we have one at 6.30 as well. So I'm going to be the multitasking taskmaster tonight in terms of fantasy football. And we have we're joined by another fantasy football multitasking task master master right now and our bi-weekly co-host and our bi-weekly guest here in the NBA jam sesh host of the NBA pick and pop podcast creator of trash narratives and creator of the samd.com it's Sam Dusenberry Jr. what's up Sammy D gee what's good man is uh I am nine minutes away man counting down draft starting with the fifth overall pick a lot of options on the table. My boys are not known for being the most astute at drafting. A lot can happen while they, while we're doing this NBA Jam Shash today. Beautiful. Well, I look forward to continually keeping up to date with you. We can mix in a little fantasy football talk as well. I'll give you some fa- sage fantasy football advice. Do not take Mitchell Trubisky at any point in the draft. Uh, in real life or in fantasy. That's correct. what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's it. You know, you know. Um, oh, I know all too well. <laughs> yeah, we were talking a little bit about fandom earlier today, and um, how fans are. Illness. It's a little how fans. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's what, that was the premises of like LSU is saying no tailgating, even though you know we're going to have 25 percent capacity in the stands this year. They said, but no tailgating on campus, and I said that's there's no chance that's ever going to happen. People are going to go tailgate, whether you tell them to are not because fans are crazy and they're just going to do it anyway. And they're going to try to get away with it is and see how much they can get away with before somebody stops them. I mean, it's called death Valley for a reason, right? Truth. So, I mean, it's not, you're, you're not stopping people who openly want to go to a place called death Valley. You're not stopping too many people who voluntarily want to be there. <laughs> Facts. All right, man, let's get into the NBA talk before we do talk a little NFL, because uh, again, I, I, I'm going to be looking forward to seeing who you got with your draft and what's going on with that. But we, we didn't really get a chance to talk about Steve Nash too much. And I wanted to ask you about some coaching things that are going on around the association. And Steve Nash gets the job there in, in Brooklyn, good fit, bad fit. Are you a, a fan of somebody who's got no coaching experience or head coaching experience in the, uh, in the NBA getting an opportunity like this? Because Kevin Durant says, Hey, look, I looked, I like this guy. I want him to be the next head coach. And they said, okay, we got Steve Nash. He's a, you know, he's a hall of famer. Here he is head coach. Uh, well, no, I'm not. I'm not like the overworked and underpaid fraud A. Smith who just wants to get on the soapbox whenever his ratings start to go down. Uh, Steve Nash, much like he said today, he is a uh, benefactor of white privilege, but I don't think this actual situation uh, is one of those things where he gets to, you know, get a job because of white privilege. If anything, it's more nepotism. But you know, quite frankly. I was able to get the current gig that I have because of nepotism. I knew someone uh, who does not look like me, looks more like you, and that person was able to convince the hiring manager to take on someone who looks like me. Uh, So nepotism can sometimes get you to places you wouldn't ordinarily be able to get into. And I think with uh, Steve Nash, you know, him and Sean Marks go back, according to him, about 20 years. So that's his man's, that's his boy. So you know, gee, if you're the GM of a station and you have a slot open in afternoon drive, and I've known you for, as we spoke about the other day, damn near a decade, yeah. you know, I would hope I could make a call 
and you would at least, I'm not saying just hand me the gig, but at least put me in a mix to where I'm being seriously considered for the position. So it's different with Sean Marks and uh, Steve Nash. Now, how do you think he's going to be as a head coach? Like, have you heard anything about Steve Nash? Are you excited to see what he what he brings to Brooklyn there with Kyrie and KD hopefully being both healthy next year? Uh, n- <laughs> excited? <laughs> no. Period. <laughs> I like that yeah. little that little <laughs> before you gave the answer. Well, yeah, because you know I have to choose my words wisely because I do know this is the FCC station, so I I do not want to get you in trouble, sir. Well, that's why I want uh, to come yes, on your podcast I, so bad because I just want to let him fly, man. That's really why I want to oh, come look, on. Look, tell, I just tell want to David let him fly. Griffin to do his job. Tell David Griffin to do his job. Go get Earl Watson, and then we could come and drop f bombs for oh, an hour on the podcast. Wait. I cannot wait. You know, but um, you know, am I? I'm curious because when you look at the coaches that uh, Nash has played under for the better part of his career, that's Don Nelson. And then he got some um, Dan Tony. Tony. So those, those, those were his two peaks. Don Nelson, very much up and down, high tempo, mismatch lineups, take advantage of size mismatches. And then you got the seven seconds of left nonsense that Dan Tony is still to this day <laughs> trying to get away with. So you would assume that's going to be kind of the mold of what he is. But if you look at the team, Canada teams, where, you know, Nash was, was a GM and building that team. Those teams didn't fit that style. It was more of a traditional half-court-oriented team. So it'll be interesting. And they asked him today in the press conference, you know, what is your style? And he kind of said, I don't know yet. Just Mm -hmm. kind of, he has to kind of feel it out. So if the man himself can tell you, I can only guesstimate and hypothesize what his style might be. But I would definitely like to think it'd be somewhat up-tempo. But we could have Kyrie who likes to dribble the ball a lot. When you have Slim Reaper, who needs the ball to be able to do what he does, which is arguably, you know, outside of what happened last night, maybe the best player in the world. He needs attention. He needs the ball. Kyrie needs the ball. I don't know if he could get away with that seven seconds or less, or even the Don Nelson up and down frenzy up-tempo often. I don't know if he could get away with any of that when you look at the offense, when you look at the roster that Steve Nash is inheriting. Yeah, and, and what has the seven seconds or less offense ever really won? Uh, nothing. Uh, if, if, if you let Dan Tony and Nash and Stoudemire, you know, they were robbed of a chance to get to the finals when that whole fight happened. And, you know, who was it? Stoudemire took one step off, yeah. the, off the bench onto the court or whatever and got suspended. You know, they'll go to their dying days saying that they were robbed of a chance of going to the finals. But, Outside of that, yeah, you're right. They've won absolutely nothing. I mean, you know, someone who's, you know, from the tri-state area, do you do you look at this as something that's, you know, noteworthy or is this excitement for you just in terms of just as a basketball fan and, you know, understanding what Steve Nash brings to the table? Yeah, man, I, I like – I mean, I always appreciated Steve Nash for what he brought to the table because, again, he was that, that point guard in the truest sense of the word, like you and I have talked about before, where he is a guy who's going to try to make – other things happen for other, you know, things happen for other people, and he's not going to look to score. I don't think he ever really averaged over twenty points a game in his career ever. And, and what did he win? A couple of MVPs, correct? Uh, yes, un- unfortunately. Yeah. So, but but he's he was always a guy that I I liked and I, and I respected. And uh, you know, look if if Katie is like, look, I, I like this guy, and I saw some video of those two guys training together. Look, I I think Steve Nash is is a smart guy, and I think you, 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 for the most part, have to be if you're a point guard, especially being that extension of the coach on the floor. Now, look, there have been many a point guards who've gotten jobs in the National Basketball Association who haven't been very good coaches, a.k.a. Derek Fisher with the Knicks, and, and that whole situation wasn't very good. Uh, but but I like Steve Nash, and I think it's a it's a big name, and I, and I think it, it can generate some you know buzz, uh, especially around Brooklyn when the Knicks are, are floundering. Well, I think when, when it comes to most coaches, it's all about the players, right? Because as much as we could bring up, you know, D. Fish, we could bring up Mark Jackson, who got, you know, handed the keys. You know, we can also bring up Jeff Hornacek. We we can also bring up Steve Kerr. You know, these are guys that weren't coaches, but all of a sudden were gifted positions. And that's something where NBA players have, you know, that, that leg up on the competition. If, if you're a lifer, like a Spolstra, like a Nick Nurse, 
you know, you're going to have to work your way up. You might have to be a video intern. You might have to start literally from the bottom. Hmm. But if you're a former player of some of some substance, you know, you're going to be able to skip the line in a lot of things that requires the league. I mean, when you look at a lot of the positions, whether it's in the league in, in terms of the, the, the organizational set or just in terms of, you know, look at Allen Houston, you know, with the Knicks, he's wrote, he's risen up the ranks doing what just being Allen Houston. So, I mean, look, it's, it's, it's something that's been prevalent for a long time. It's something that has benefited uh, former players for a long time. And, you know, I don't think anything like that is going to stop. And I, I'm not anti it. It just, it comes right down to, do you believe this person knows what they're going to do to fulfill the duties of the job? And two, if you're giving someone a coaching position, do you have the talent that could fit this person's needs and talents? And more times than not, we've seen that fail because teams just assume, well, Magic Johnson, greatest point guard of all time. Of course, let him coach. And he was horrific because he didn't really know what he was doing. He just assumed everyone can do what he did on the court. Hmm. Jordan as a GM, same way. He just assumes, well, look, I'm going to go down and teach Kwame Brown how to be a beast. I'm going to beat him up and browbeat him like I did Horace Grant. And maybe he'll turn into something. And Kwame was washed out the league within five years. So great players don't mean they're going to be great at anything else besides being great players. Sam Dusenberry Jr., our guest here on the bi-weekly uh, Pick and Pop podcast. No, no, not the Pick and Pop podcast, but the NBA Jam session. I mean, it is the Pick and Pop podcast. He's from the Pick and Pop podcast, but I guess I had the Pick and Pop on, on the brain there for a sec. Uh, a couple other. Everybody should. As, as I'm, that's what I'm saying. Uh, I got a chance. You had the, the, the pod out yesterday. I didn't have my workout this this uh, this morning, so I didn't get a chance to uh, to listen to it um, on my way to and from the the gym this morning because my, my trainers, uh, she. Uh, She's on vacation. She's taking a well-deserved week off in the you know, week off at the at the beach with the family. But I listened to it yesterday. Uh, always good stuff there on the Pick and Pop podcast. Again, get it where uh, wherever you get your podcasts. A couple other things before we hit a break. I wanted to ask you about Billy Donovan and, and OKC parting ways. What what do you think that was about? And uh, a good move or a bad move? Uh, Sam Presti is no dummy. Uh, the clock ran out. You know, th- there's no reason to extend the contract of a coach that hasn't really proven himself. Uh, that team this year was coached more by the point fraud than Billy Donovan. So, you know, if you're Sam Pressing, you're the Wait a second. Did you GM just give a little kudos to the point fraud? Uh, no. I mean, why, why would I do that? What, coaching the OKC Thunder to the record that they had? The fact that he has, you know, stymied the ascension of SGA, Shade Gilgis Alexander. I'm not giving him props for that. Uh, oh, but hang on here, G. So I have the fifth pick. Okay. Saquon, Dalvin Cook, and Kamara are all available. Saquon or Dalvin Cook? Ooh, you don't even want to put Kamara in there, huh? I was between uh, Saquon and and Kamara. So if if that's the case, I would go. I I would go. I would go Saquon. Danny Dimes. Yeah. All right. All right. I mean, he's the best player on that roster. He's the best player on the roster, but that means he's going to be the the most. You know, they're going to put nine dudes in the box. Sometimes, unless Danny Dimes can 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 out throw him. All right, let's let's. I'll, I'll do it. it. It just comes back to haunt me. I want the audience to know, this was a Greg Larner decision. That's fine. Right, we're drafting Saquon Barkley. All right, cool. I, I like it. Um, I, I'll take uh, I'll take Saquon for sure, man. I I took him in a couple of drafts. Saquon I think I have five. I like it. Yeah, that's not bad. I I was, you know, usually you expect him to go within the top couple of picks, but uh but yeah, you got him all the way down at 5 and and that's the beauty of of not drafting in Southwest Louisiana that Camara makes it past pick number 2. Yeah, I'm I mean, right now, I'm telling you right now, Michael Thomas just went. So Alma Camara is chilling wow. right there. You know, it's we're now into the uh bottom half of the first round and a guy like Alvin Camara who's very well known in your area still chilling there. That's crazy. So I mean, look, it, my boys are known for a lot of reaches. So th- that's why I was telling you, I, I forewarned you. I said it could be a lot of McCaffrey went first, so that was an auto pick. Zeke went second, so that's chalk. Mahomes went third. Oh wow! Is this like Derrick a two Henry quarterback league? Went fourth. Oh, Derrick. It's a one QB league. One oh. QB league. Now usually we do two QBs. But since uh, we, we had a new champion, he got to change the rules. So he wanted to go back down ah, to one QB. Okay, I got you. That's how it works. Huh? I'm very pro 2QB. That, that, that's how I live my life. But 
I did a win the league last year, and so the, the new dude got to pick the new rules. Man, I um, I, this is the first year I'm playing in a uh, dual quarterback league, but it's not like a Love true it. dual quarterback league. It's a one quarterback and super flex, so you can play a quarterback in that. Ah, uh... Uh, see, I, I see, I, I think that's cheesy. It's either do it or don't. I don't mind the the running back, tight end, receiver flex. I don't mind that. I guess that's a quasi super flex. But that super flex with the QB, you're basically saying it's two QBs. Because who's going to not pick a QB if you can get a good one anyway, a good second one? Well, of course. Why that's, wouldn't you? That's where the strategy comes in. If you can get in. Mahomes and Breeze, you're going to do the super flex every week. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. I, I think I had a draft and I took – what did I what, – who did I grab? I think I grabbed Deshaun Watson and Kyler Murray. I like it. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's that's where I'm rolling with in my super flex. I'm going uh, Deshaun and, and Kyler and – Let's go to a, a quick phone call because the man on, on hold is is part of our listener league, and he is a big fantasy man himself, and Mr. Josh Thibodeau. What's up, Josh? Man, Sam, bro, you, you're playing with people that just want to give you a championship, huh, bro? I've racked up so much uh, uh, championships over the years, it's not even funny, bro. I'm telling you. That, that, that's why if I play one league, I make sure to play this league because I'm pretty sure I can end up in the top two or top three. Guaranteed right, money. So, so basically, so basically, you're the Golden State Warriors. That's what that's what's going on right here, bro. You got you got KD, you got Steph, you got Clay, you got Draymond. You're just living your best life. I got it. Now the reason why I called in was, man, you you don't feel like Billy Donovan deserves a little bit of credit for taking the, an aging Chris Paul and a, the rest of that roster to the record that they had and making it to the playoffs, you don't think that's like a little bit of an accomplishment? What what proof do you have that, that the point fraud was aging? I mean, he's like 137 years old last time. Much. Isn't he old? I mean, I thought CP was old. I mean, last time Mark I remember, from, I mean, how many years has he been in the league? I mean, he only played half a minute less. His points went up. His assists were down because, I mean, he's a fraud. Uh, his shooting percentage went up. He took the same amount of shots per game. I mean, he was essentially the same player as with, you know, the beard last year. I, I and, and I get that, but I'm saying is it's just him. So he ain't got, I mean, I mean, OKC had like, what, a 0.25% chance of making the playoffs before the season started. That's how, like, ESPN picked them, like their, their chance of making the playoffs. You don't find that's kind of impressive to, to make it to the playoffs with the stack, you know, odds stacked against you, you don't find that slightly impressive? I, I, I don't because I was not one of that point five five. Like, I, I didn't believe any of that stuff. I know the metrics and the numbers make it look crazy, but um, I was not uh, that down on the Thunder like they were going to be a bottom-feeding team. You know, with the point fraud, even though I had my feelings about him, I know what type of basketball player he is. SGA, I've been gushing about him on this show seemingly for months, and Steven Adams is still a quality role player. So he's a he's not an upper echelon big, but he's like in that in that, you know, good to average range. So there's still some pieces. Galinari's a bucket. Like there were some pieces here. I think people just looked so much at Russ being traded that somehow the whole thing could not work because Russ wasn't there. There was still some competent pieces there and Sam Presti getting SGA you know, in that Paul George deal, I think was massive move. So I wasn't down on AKC, OKC like all the alleged other experts were. Got you. I, I don't know. I guess when you look at their team on paper compared to the other teams in the West, they just, they just like, on paper, they just don't look good. You know, you're like, ah, they might finish eighth or ninth, maybe. And for them that – I guess I find that impressive slightly. My only hope is that he does – that Billy Donovan doesn't end up with the Pelicans – and uh, before I hang up and listen, I just want to let you know you need to tell uh, Greg he's, he's going to be okay because it's not his fault that he had to be in a fantasy league with me this year, and I have to extremely dominate him. Hmm. So, you know, just be there for him. Be a good friend. You know, just be supportive. I'll hang up and listen. All right. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Austin Eckler is – I'm on the clock. Austin Eckler, Devontae Adams, or go for a QB early, Deshaun Watson or Kyler Murray. Well, are we in round two? Well, round, round two. two. Pick 15? Yeah. Deshaun Watson? Oh, I would probably I'm go with. 
I'm taking Adams. I was just going to say, I'd probably take Devontae Adams, too. You want that solid number one wide receiver. All right. So, I I trust y'all. Okay, so y'all two, G picked my first one, and you and Josh picked my second one. If these two flame out, so I got Saquon (laughs) and I got Devontae Adams. We'll we'll, we'll see how this rolls. Hey, look, I don't know where you live, Sam, but if those two players flame out for you – I owe you a plate lunch. I'll Uber it to, to your house, Uber eat it to your house, wherever it's at. Because if you, if anybody told me that you were going to start off at one one o five taking Saquon and at at two fifteen taking Devontae Adams, who's a first round pick in most yeah. leagues, I would tell them they're crazy. So, congrats on winning your league, sir. I'll talk to y'all later. <laughs> later, Josh. All right, Josh. Thank you, sir. Oh man, yeah, he's he's good. He's good people, man. I've uh, I've never met Josh, but he calls routinely, and uh, and he's yeah, a we're, caller. yeah, he is. Uh, we're gonna we're we're in that. He's in the listener league, the fantasy football lounge league, and uh, and yeah, it's it, it's popping off tonight at uh, nine fifteen your time, eight fifteen uh, our time down here in the central time zone, and uh, and yeah, he, he's talking all this smack now, but uh, just come draft time, we'll uh, we'll see what's what. All right, now, so I am a couple picks. I'm, in, I'm on the clock in two picks. Mm-hmm. Watson, Murray, Dak, and Russell are chilling there. Running backs looking a little scarce. Go running back. Chris Carson, David Johnson, James Conner, Le'Veon, Kareem Hunt. So the, the running backs are a little scarce. Go with Chris Carson. Receivers. Chris Carson. Mike Evans. Chris DJ Carson. Moore. Galladay. Chris Thielen. Carson. Chris Carson. Chris Carson, you Chris think Carson. you think running back? Oh yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm I'm well, a lot of people know my strategy at this point. I I lo- I'm I'm stacking running backs this year because they are always so scarce and there's a lot of backfields with tandems and so I get nervous, man. You got to grab those ones where those there's those solid wow. number one guys and I like that Watson running back. Murray just went back to back anyway, so who right. did? Watson, uh, Kyla Murray, and Deshaun Watson. Let them take quarterbacks early. That's fine. You can get a quarterback late. It's no big deal. Don't worry about the quarterbacks. Unless the quarterbacks are throwing like six-point touchdowns, then you got to grab a quarterback. But are they throwing just four-point touchdowns? Uh, No, six. Six Oh, six-point. Well, shoot. Now I understand why they're going so early. Correct. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a horse of a different color, man. I didn't realize that we're we're having six-point touchdowns out here. I I still got Dak and and, and Russell Wilson sitting there. Okay. Then then, then you might have to go Russ then. Or, but, ah, man. Chris Carson. Well, yeah. I mean, if they're six-point touchdowns, yes. I, I I think so. I think so. All right. I drafted Russell Wilson. Okay. All right. All right. Man. That's that's okay. See, you didn't tell me. Lamar Jackson obviously got took then too, right? Oh yeah, he 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 long gone. Long gone. <laughs> He's long gone. Yeah. yeah All right, man. Dak is the highest rated QB. So yeah. Gotcha. All right. Before we take a break, I, I wanted to ask you about another coaching situation. I saw that yep. Becky Hammond was in the mix for the Pacers job. Um, you know, with with David Griffin kind of being maybe a little bit more progressive. I I believe I think it's is it Swin Cash who's in his front office. Cash, yes. Yeah, so he's got a couple of females up there, and I think he he's kind of a, one of those progressive basketball president of basketball operations. Do you think that might be in in consideration for for the Pelicans to maybe bring in a, a Becky Hammond as their next head coach? Uh, well, I mean, somebody's going to do it. Uh, I would have. I'm not sure why it wouldn't be the Spurs. It seemed like it was going to be Taylor made for mm-hmm. her to take that position. Um, I don't know why it wouldn't be the Spurs, but if she really wants a job that bad, I mean, she obviously has the acumen. She's put in the work. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, gee, we, we have to look at the, the the reality of certain things. There are going to be certain people, uh, whether it's, you know, through, through chauvinism or whatever, that are not going to immediately take to a Becky Hammond being named a head coach of a men's professional league. Uh, so it's going to be a lot of pressure, a lot of attention on her. You know, the first time her team goes on, goes on a five, six-game losing streak, what's the energy going to be like in terms of social media or even in, in, the, in the press? So she definitely has the acumen. She obviously, you know, has learned under one of the best in Greg Popovich, you know, RCB for that whole thing. Uh, but, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it. If, if David Griffin wants to be that, cool. 
that's going to be an adjustment. So now you have Zion trying to figure out what he is. If they bring back Young Reaper, if they keep Lonzo, you know, it's a lot of that job, even though on paper it looks to be a very enticing job, I don't know if I would want that to be Becky Hammond's uh, first position or first chance at being a head coach. There's a lot of moving pieces there. The Indiana position, very loyal fan base. Uh, it's a very, um, very chill organization. They know they're not under a lot of pressure to win the championship. That might be a safer spot to learn the ropes to being a head coach. But obviously, Becky Hammond, I think sooner than later, is going to get a chance in this league. Sam Dusenberry Jr. is our guest right here on the bi-weekly NBA Jam Sesh, the host of the NBA Pick and Pop podcast. We're going to step aside. We're going to take a quick break. You, you're in between picks for a minute or two here? Oh, yeah, I have some time. All right, good deal. We'll take a two-and-a-half-minute timeout. We'll come right back after this right here on The Word with G on ESPN1420.com and the ESPN1420 mobile app sponsored by Mandez's Seafood Bar and Grill down on Ducey Road. So next pick, fourth round. I uh, I didn't advise this pick, but but Sam said, you know what, F it. I'm going to go with a young stud running back and trying to hit on him with Jonathan Taylor. How you feeling about that, that, that pick, sir? Oh, I'm liking it. I mean, look, if you're telling me I had to choose between, you know, Cam Akers, Kareem Hunt, Devin Singletary. I mean, maybe you can make a case for Singletary. Maybe. Yeah, but I mean, they like Zach Moss thinking, out there too. Correct. So, you know, or maybe if you're telling me because eight, all day uh, AP is gone, that maybe Antonio Gibson is going to be a thing. I'm not mad at that. I think he'll still be there in a round or two if I want to hedge my bet and just scoop him up. But, you know, it's turned in terms of just having someone who I know is going to start and get some carries. I think the best option for me at that point was Jonathan Taylor. Yeah, and there's a lot of sketchy running back situations out there as we've talked about. So, um, yeah, go with the young stud. Uh, I, I, we'll see how it plays out. We'll see how it plays out. All right, let's uh, let, let's get back into um, into some NBA action here. And um, there was something that caught my eye about uh, some nut hitting that that had gone on recently. And the the Rockets feel like they are repeat offenders. They they continually getting hit in their nuts and. Uh, the league isn't doing anything really about it because, you know, you had AD got caught, uh, Jeff Green going to make a move and, and got him between the legs. And the league reviewed it and assessed a flagrant foul point to Anthony Davis. You get four of those, you're disqualified for a game in the playoffs. And then you had Dennis Schroeder find 25K on his shot to PJ Tucker's groin. But then you have the point fraud who is a habitual uh, repeat offender in this category. And the league didn't review it. He didn't get fined. Nothing happened. Kind of suspicious. I thought. Well, this, this, this is what happens when you allow a culture of nut hitting. It becomes rampant. It becomes a copycat league. Uh, if, if they didn't stop Chris Paul, the point fraud, from being the nut hitter, master that he is if they didn't stop Draymond Green where literally the only thing that stopped him from routinely kicking and punching grown men in the nuts was a suspension and for game five of the NBA finals if that's the only thing that actually made that grown-ass man stop from hitting another man in the nether regions then the league has you know allowed this culture of nut hitting to grow and that you know 
I'm not saying I don't think what Anthony Davis did was blatant. I don't put that on the level of a point fraud or a habitual nut hitter. But I do think if players know they can get away with it to a certain degree, like the point fraud who has skated numerous times and the habitual nut hitter who I just mentioned, Draymond Green, then yeah, other guys are going to try to do the same thing. When Manu Ginobili, who's been incorrectly given the, um, as being the, the innovator and the orator of the uh, Euro step, when he started doing it, it started being a nuisance about it and getting to the cup and getting buckets. Everyone started doing it. It's, it's a copycat league. So, you know, I'm not mad at it to a certain extent because I know where it originated from and the league had a chance to nip it in the bud and they didn't. And now guys need to start wearing the cup when they play basketball. It's, it's troubling times, G. It really is. Uh, you got to watch your uh, your sack when you when you're playing uh, the game of basketball. And can you imagine having to play the game of basketball wearing a cup, man? That that would be awful. Yeah, it, it, it's too much things flopping around already. Um, the the last thing you want is a jock support or or something to that nature. It just it's just cumbersome. Yeah, it, it's more so is. for some than others, but yes, it's it's, it's cumbersome. Mm. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, the, the three-point shot in, in the game of basketball and how it's changing the game of basketball because I, I read an article on ESPN today about that and uh, three-point scores are actually outscoring paint scores in these playoffs heading into Tuesday's game. So I don't know exactly what the numbers are heading into today's matchups, but before Tuesday's games, there were 4,602 points scored on three-pointers versus 4,512 points scored in the paint heading into Tuesday. How have you seen the game change and why the advent of the three? Why is this shot becoming so prevalent, so important? And, and, you know, when I was first getting into refing high school basketball, I remember I did an AAU tournament and the the AAU kids, the high school kids were much easier. Uh, the, the, the varsity kids were much easier to to officiate than than like the the freshmen because these these high schoolers, these varsity kids were just pulling up from three, and it just made it very easy to officiate because all they're doing is pulling, 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 and that's kind of the culture that we live in now in terms of the Rockets doing it. We've seen the Warriors do a lot of it. What, what, why is the three-point shot so prevalent, so important to, uh, to, to teams' success here uh, of late? Yeah, it just comes to, again, as we just mentioned, when it comes to nut hitting, much like nut hitting is a copycat thing, the three-point shot became a, uh, a copycat thing. You know, the Warriors got that first chip off with Steph and Clay being so, you know, ridiculously skilled at shooting the ball long range. And then everyone said, oh, well, this is going to be the new thing, so let's all go do that. And everyone has to go get a backcourt where everyone can shoot threes. And then the Rockets, too, took it to a next level where, you know, they're playing this alleged positionless basketball of small ball where all five guys on the court are able to shoot threes. And while it is it's productive, it's a weapon, right? Having more threes than twos, it's simple math. So the, the stat you brought up makes sense just in basic math. If a whole bunch of guys are making more threes than twos, then yes, three-point guys are going to outshine um, you know, two-point guys or guys that are predominantly working the paint to get twos. Here's the thing. When it comes to NBA championships, outside of the Golden State Warriors, can you name a team that's been predominantly three-point based? So take away the Warriors' three championships. Were the Raptors predicated on being a three-point shooting team? Well, I, I think when you have Kawhi Leonard and, and the work that he does, I, I would say probably not. But at the same time, you had Danny Green there. You had Fred Van Vliet who was jacking him up left and right. And he kind of made a name for himself by knocking down as many threes as he did last year and, and becoming the prevalent shooter that he's become. But, but when they had to win games, what was the offense? Oh, Boardman. Correct. So the Steph and Clay thing are an anomaly when you look at the history, even the recent history. You want to bring up the, the, the Cavs coming back from that 3-1 deficit. That wasn't because of threes. It was because they had LeBron and Kyrie and the other team didn't. You know, it, they, it was predicated on you know, even when you go to the Miami Heat with LeBron and them, even when you go to the Spurs with Kawhi, those teams weren't three-point based. They had it as a weapon. 
it's not like they ignored the three, but their whole offense wasn't generated around the production of three-pointers. So while the three-point thing has become more and more prevalent, when it comes to winning games, you still got to play defense and you still got to have that one guy who you can give the ball to and tell everyone else, get the hell out the way. So I think the three-point thing has become uh, – it's taken the league over by storm, obviously, and it's taken over college, AAU, high school, you know, uh, uh, all the way down to little children are chucking it from half court because of what the Warriors have done to basketball. You know, Bob Myers likes to say that they – revolutionized basketball because they shot so many threes. I take it the other way. I think they bastardized the game of basketball by taking so many threes. Yeah, people who have no business who should be taking threes that are now chucking it up seven, yeah. eight times a game just because it's there. So I, I, I understand what the stats and the metrics say, but when you look at the champions and look at what those offenses did, they were not predicated idealistically around the three-pointer. And that's why, uh, in my opinion, that the Houston Rockets are not the way that they're currently constructed, not going to win a championship. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, if your best player is James Harden, as great as he is individually, as great as he is as a scorer, he's not good enough, especially at this point in his career. If this was three, four years ago, you, I, could, I could probably say, yeah, maybe you can get one championship if things break right. If you have that... Kawhi Raptor thing happened where every single thing broke the right way. Yeah, it could happen. But now that it's three, four years after that time frame, no, you cannot win a championship with James Harden as your best player. That time has passed. You know, it's just, it's not, he doesn't do enough and he's not that good enough in terms of dominating a game to where he could win a Larry O'Brien. It can't happen. Sam Dusenberry Jr., our guest here on the weekly or bi-weekly NBA Jam Session. I'm still getting used to that, Sam. Uh, how's, how's the draft going? I haven't checked in with you in a while. I'm on the clock. It's round seven. Whoa, whoa. You've made a couple uh, of picks. What? Where have you gone? What is what is happening? Well, hang on. I, I'm, I'm 10 seconds on the clock. Oh, yeah, I think I'm going to go Evan Ingram here in round seven. Mm, sketchy. I'm going to take a chance that he's finally healthy. Mm, All right. So, in the meantime, I took... Terry McLaurin. Gary Terry. For that second second receiver spot. And then uh, I did, as we spoke about, I don't know if we were off air or on air, uh, our boy Antonio Gibson. Now that uh, Adrian Peterson's gone, I went and scooped him up. Okay, there uh, you so go. So now we're, we're, heading in, we're heading into round eight. You know, I've got all the starting spots filled. So now it's about getting that depth and trying to find and pluck some gems. That's it. Grab, uh, grab some of those young running backs like a uh... – uh, you already got Jonathan Taylor, um, J.K. Dobbins from uh, from the Ravens, maybe a uh, um, gosh, the guy from the Lions as well. I know DeAndre Swift. Do you Swift. think Fournette could be a good goal line option? Do you think he's going to get some cheap touchdowns at the goal line? Oh, for sure, man. He's too talented uh, not. I mean, they 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 brought him in there for a reason. I know they're talking about Ronald Jones and this, that, and the other thing. I mean, but they're both available. That that that's that's the curious thing here. Yeah, no one's taken that dive yet. Yeah, I, if you if you have your running backs, I, I would I would take a shot on Fournette. I, I think I like Fournette better than Rojo. Uh, because I think yeah, Fournette's just more talented, but um, and I think they brought him again, brought him in for a reason, and I think by by year's end or at least a couple of weeks in, he'll have that starting job. Gronk off the board, seventh round. Good, you know you don't need Gronk. Three three seven two six nine ten seventy seven. Let's go to the phone lines now. Welcome in. Yeah, man, I agree with you, man. Um, all these threes, the players uh, shooting, clanking up. Uh, it's sad that the post-up game is obsolete. Uh, it's sad that a player like Shaq, like you know, is, is, does he have a does he have have a place in this game in today's game? And it looks like the answer will be no. Uh, that's 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 so, wild. I mean, uh, I I think if someone that good came into the league, like I think James, uh, I think Weissman. I think James Weissman could be that good. Not saying Shaq dominant good, but in terms of he's a guy where I think he's good enough to where you could throw the ball to him on the block and he could go be a, a routine bucket. Um, now, I'm sure because of the, the way this league has transformed, he's going to have to bring his game to the outside a lot as well. But I think his, his, his early skill set 
is that of a back back somebody down, low post, back to the basket type player. So I do think depending on, like Embiid is a, out, out, besides the fact that he takes way too many threes, when he decides to, when he gets on that block, he does work. And he is yeah. feared around the league. So I, I think there's still room for it. It's just guys aren't being trained to be that. Yeah. Hey, man, and I, I knew this was going to happen, man. It's it almost like LeBron 2.0 all over again um, with Giannis. The national, the national media, they're going to do anything and everything to try to get him out of that market. Uh, you know, of course, they, they're going to talk this and that. But you, you're going to see stories, man. Will he fit here? Miami. I'm already, I'm already here in Miami. You know, I heard Golden State last year or two years ago. Um, would would you guys play so last night? What to get him out of Milwaukee? Yeah, I mean, if if he wants to go, if he if he's able to do his job easier and get a championship, is that so bad? It's, it's uh, you know, if he if he if it's not bad per se because he's a free agent, he can do what he wants. It's just I'm not talking about the players, it's just the media, man. The way how the media. Oh, I mean, at this point, you should only be listening to G and me. I mean, come on now. I can't, nah, nah, man. You calling Chris Paul a point fraud? I definitely don't want to listen to you that way. Hey, look, I I break it down every time. You, you, deep down, you know I'm right. You know you play ball. You know you don't want nobody routinely hitting you in the nuts. You don't respect that man. I don't like. You're right. I don't like that or anyone elbowing, throwing elbows. You're right. And I saw that a couple of times last night. And uh, James Hart, you know, accidental, but that was the second one. We don't talk about it. I know uh, Davis um, Davis caught someone or, or – uh, Jeff Green, I think. That was Green or Covington? Jeff Green, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Covington, Covington. Well, Covington, yeah, Covington. had a, the, yeah. the, the, the near concussion where his head went into the Davis's concussion. hip. Correct. Yeah, yeah, Davis hit Green yeah. in the nuts. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, you're good. But, but, yeah, man. Uh, hey man, hey, uh, you got a couple of people out here who really thought, you know, I know it's, it's still it's still a series, but I, I don't see it. I, I can't believe people really thought the Rockets <laughs> had a chance to beat the Lakers. I I, I think that's funny. And, and, and you're right. Uh, yeah, hey, I agree with you that Anthony Davis is the true defensive player of the year in this league. And that, that man, that man, hey, the way he he played defense, he he played defense like he he plays defense like he's a small forward, man. He can this, he this can man, do it all. Yeah. Uh, Who do you like tonight? I think the team with the old English font is going to take control of this series tonight. I would love to see the Nuggets man up. I would love to see Jokic man up in the fourth quarter instead of being dominant in the first three quarters and disappearing in the fourth. You know, I would love to see the refs call Jamal Murray getting hacked to death by, you know, Pandemic P and the board man and Pat Bev. I would love if this if this game was, was will be called fairly, but I think there's too much money on the line. Adam Silver knows what we want. We didn't get Zion in the playoffs, so we damn sure better get Lakers, Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. So I think the Nuggets got no shot. They might get one more game, but that's about it. Hey, man, uh, while you was talking, uh, while you was talking, I was thinking about something. I'll let you go. I'm gonna hang up here. Uh, Giannis, man, you know, I don't get caught up in a, oh, he's Greek, you know, I don't get, no, he's Nigerian. So, could All you right. see, could you see Giannis signing with a team like the Raptors or Houston because of the uh, Nigerians? They have a large Nigerian population in those two cities. Uh, but I'm thinking more uh, Toronto, and uh, I want to hear your thoughts on that. And uh, thank y'all. Thanks, always. Jay. Appreciate thank you, brother. Appreciate you, Jay. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it, it, it's been no secret that Messiah, Jerry, and Giannis have a have a uh, a relationship. And uh, yes, you're also correct. You know, I've been calling him for about the last year or so the Nigerian freak. I've been pushing that because that is who that man is. Uh, you know, he grew up in, in in Greece, and that's cool. And I understand it makes sense. It rhymes. But uh, that boy is of Nigerian heritage. So, you know, I call him where he's from. Um, but Giannis has a lot of options. He can go to Toronto. He can go to the Warriors. He could go to South Beach. Any team would clear the deck to have a chance at bringing in the Nigerian freak. So his departure, if there is one, will send shockwaves. If he goes to Toronto, 
that team becomes interesting. But here's the thing, Gene, and I I, I want your feedback on this. Mm -hmm. If he goes to Toronto, if you're the Bucks, it has to be a sign and trade, correct? You can't just let him walk well, of completely away. Yeah, I mean that would be if, that would be ideal if you can right, make that okay, happen. So now, let, so now let's say that that's the case. If you're Toronto, are you that much better with no Siakam, assuming Van Vliet gets a ridiculous offer this offseason? and just Giannis, OG, Anobi, and whatever other holdovers you got from Toronto. How much better are you if you're the Raptors if you take away the rest of the remaining core from that championship with the board man, and now all you got is just Giannis? Well, Is that worth breaking the bank? Now, obviously, they can't offer the Supermax like the Bucks can, but is that worth doing a sign-and-trade getting rid of whatever available or remaining assets you have in this sign and trade just to bring in Giannis when we've seen Giannis and he's not truly a number one option. I was just going to say the short answer is no, it's, it's not, it doesn't make the Raptors in my opinion, a championship contender, no more than they are right now, which I, I had the Raptors going to the, to the NBA finals, but um, the way that the, Boston Celtics have just handled them and they clearly have the better guys on the court without Siakam being able to do what he wants to do. And as you mentioned, Jalen Brown, putting him in the torture chamber and hitting a three right there. Um, you know, I, I really don't think it makes them all that much better. I mean, I, I think Giannis would be a, an upgrade at this point over Siakam a, a little bit, but um, because I don't, I don't know if Siakam has that MVP caliber play in him. I know he's still very young and I know you talked about it on the pod that, he is not Boardman 2.0 like you thought, and that's you know not a you know not a compliment or it's not something that you throw around too too lightly. But um, but still, yeah, I I, I don't see it as too much of an upgrade. Yeah, so th that's why for me, as as much as we like to play fantasy basketball and just throw Giannis on all these great teams and build these super teams, to me, it's what's the give up if you send him to the bay if he's going to go sign and run with steph that's been rumored for about a year and a half okay what's the sign and trade i'm assuming you're going to have to give up the habitual nut hitter i'm assuming you're going to have to give up andrew wiggins and then you may even have to give up that top three pick that they just got in the draft yeah so at least now you have a nucleus of steph clay Giannis. that makes sense he becomes the second, maybe third option. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. If it's to South Beach, that sign and trade becomes very difficult. What pieces are you willing to give up? Tyler Hero? Bam? I mean, you would like to be able to put Bam and Giannis together to have a ridiculously strong incredible. defensive front court. Yeah. But in that sign and trade, I don't know. What, what else do the Heat have to give up that would suffice Milwaukee agreeing to that sign and trade. So this is where, as much as we want to just plug Giannis any and everywhere, it gets a little tricky because it's most likely going to have to be a sign and trade than him just walking away and signing with anybody. Sam Dusenberry Jr., our co-host here on the weekly NBA Jam Sesh, the bi-weekly NBA Jam Sesh. All right, final one before I got to roll because I've got uh, got the draft coming up here. Uh, and this is the, uh, the, the the one that needs my most attention, uh, as I've spoken to you off the air about. Um, when, it, when it comes to the Nuggets and the Clippers, you, know, you, you talked a little bit about them. I thought, and I want to get your opinion on this, I thought that the Nuggets really fumbled away a golden opportunity to take a lead in this series. They had, I mean, they were right there with the Clippers until the fourth quarter, and I think they had the edge over the Clippers for a little while but then from what I saw, again, I, I watched the last five minutes very intently, and I saw uh, Jokic looking maybe a little bit tired, not really putting up the big shots and deciding, all right, I'm going to be a passing big man like everybody tells me, and I'm going to shoot it out to Jeremy Grant for a couple brick threes, and it just didn't work. It just didn't seem like in the biggest moments their best players wanted to shoot the basketball, and I thought they had a couple, uh, a couple opportunities to do so, and they just kind of shied away from it. Yeah, and, and if if Jokic is what everyone keeps telling me he is, he wouldn't have been passing the ball to Jeremy Grant in the fourth quarter, even if you're tired. When Jimmy Butler was going for 40 in game one against the Bucks, do you think he was tired in that fourth quarter when he just kept routinely going to the rim? Of course, he was dead tired, but he still 
made it happen. He still kept going there. So, you know, if you're really about that life, if you're about that I am the closer type life, then you push through. It may not be pretty, but you find a way. And he refused to find a way. And Jamal Murray's getting hounded by three different dudes. Even Lou Wills hounded him. Like, he is being chased around the court damn near 90-something feet. So that means Jokic has to be the one. They're not really double-teaming him that often. They have a lot of faith. I don't know why they do, because he's been cooking the first three quarters. They have a lot of faith in Zubac and then Trez handling him one-on-one with maybe a little help in dire straits. So it's, it's incredible to me how the Nuggets have all these chances to win these games. They've only been blown out of one of these games. It's amazing to me how they keep coughing it up where they could get a lead into the third quarter, like you mentioned, or even into the fourth quarter, like in the last game, and yet they can't finish it. And it's all on Nikola Jokic. You know how I feel about Jamal Murray. You, you know I love him. But if Jokic is the one that y'all keep telling me is this nice, then he has to get it done. And I'm not seeing enough from him offensively. He'll give you the little pass at the top of the key. He'll do all that little cute stuff when he runs the offense allegedly through him. But in terms of going down there and being a bucket, Banging Zubats, getting Zubats out the game, fouling out Trez. Let me see that type of action. You know, Shaq makes it so just go be dominant, and sometimes that is, it, that's ill-advised. But in this case, with very few double teams coming your way, if you're Jokic, just go dominate. Sam Dusenberry Jr. has been our guest here on the bi-weekly NBA Jam Sesh. You can hear him every single week on the Pick and Pop podcast. Uh, that's the, the Pick and Pop podcast, not and, just the letter N Pop podcast, wherever you get your platform or wherever you get your uh, podcast, whatever platform that may be, check them out online. You get all things audio, visual, merchandise as well at thesamd.com. Sam, always a pleasure, my friend. We will talk again on Friday. Good luck with the rest of your draft, and uh, we'll we'll talk about how it goes uh, on Friday. Thank you so much. I appreciate you and the audience, and good luck to y'all on all of y'all drafts. There we go. Sam Dusenberry Jr. here on the word with G good job by Sam per usual. And hopefully we got an opportunity to help him a little bit with his draft.